I believe in the next 20 to 30 years, a person living with dementia is not going to be segregated from our society. I think we are learning how to be more inclusive with them. Companies like ours and many other companies like ours are trying to include those people in everything we do. We're starting to learn how families can get more comfortable being out in the public and doing things with them because we have a more understanding culture. That was P.K. Bethel speaking about some of the positive changes she's seeing in tackling a very common worldwide disease, dementia. Dementia will be our focus on this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. I'm your host, Jeff Ostroff. This podcast is intended for the general public and healthcare professionals. Healthcare on the Horizon is about where things stand now with the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of specific diseases and how things might change with those in the future. Our goal is to help you learn more about these diseases and to give you a clearer picture of the work being done right now to improve or eradicate their adverse impact. Like its sister podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers, Healthcare on the Horizon will look a bit into the future, in this case, to provide hopeful news about the various diseases we shine a light on. We hope you'll find the information here useful in an educational sense, but also, perhaps in a more personal way, should you, a family member, or a friend have one of the medical conditions we cover. Please note, the information shared on this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for the advice provided by your physician or any other healthcare professional. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. Today, you're going to learn about a disease that affects millions of people worldwide, dementia. As you'll soon learn, like cancer, dementia can present itself in many different forms. In this episode, episode number two of Healthcare on the Horizon, you'll learn about such things as who and how many people dementia affects, advances that have been made in helping delay, diagnose, and treat dementia, and what may lie ahead in tackling this disease. Spoiler alert, there's some good news there. You'll also learn about a great program that's intended to vastly improve the quality of life for those with dementia and their family caregivers. To help us with all this, we've brought on a decades-long expert on dementia. She's P.K. Bevel. P.K. Bevel has been in the dementia field and working with dementia patients for nearly 40 years. She's also the founder of Second Wind Dreams, which she started in 1997. Second Wind Dreams is an internationally known nonprofit organization created to change the perception of aging through fulfilling elders' dreams and offering educational programs to help caregivers understand the physical and mental challenges facing those with dementia. Second Wind Dreams is the first organization to focus on granting dreams for elders. PK also created the internationally acclaimed Virtual Dementia Tour. Experienced by nearly 4 million people in 20 countries, the Virtual Dementia Tour is a scientifically proven training method designed to build sensitivity and awareness 
in individuals caring for those with dementia. Well, hi, PK. Welcome to Healthcare on the Horizon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a delight to have you. What you're going to be speaking about to our listeners and to me concerns so many people around the world. And you'll get a chance to talk about this more later, PK. But I must commend you for the work that you've done for many years with Second Wind Dreams. It's so helpful to people. And again, it's global. So it all fits in perfectly. So thank you for what you're doing and for being on this show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. You're welcome. To kick us off, PK, if you could briefly tell us why and when you became interested and involved with dementia, which of course is our focus today. Sure. So back in 1983, long time ago, yes, I was interning at a psychiatric treatment facility and absolutely hated every minute of it. Huh. It was with adolescents. And it turned out that one of the kids in my treatment therapeutically had a father who had a chain of 11 nursing homes. And he asked me if he could get services like we get for adolescents in the nursing homes because the problems there were huge. And I thought, why the heck not? So we looked into it. A couple of us got together and I absolutely loved every minute of it, especially the people living with dementia. So I've been at this since 1983. It's all I ever want to do. I never wanted to change careers. I was home when I got there. And I guess to use Mother Teresa's comment, older adults, especially those with dementia, are my Calcutta. Wow, that is wonderful. It's wonderful not only from the standpoint of you've been doing this for 39 years just about and helping so many people, PK, but it's wonderful because you are one of the people, and there are many who don't fit this description, who found what you love to do for your work. And that's just such a wonderful thing. Do you have anybody within your family who's had dementia? It's interesting you ask me that, Jeff, because people ask me all the time if that was an impetus, and actually it was not. In fact, no one in our family had it until just in the last few years, which to me gives almost a better opportunity for me to serve them because I don't come into dementia care with baggage. I come in objectively, research-based, focused on the care and treatment of those living with dementia. So while it may seem odd, I think it's actually turned out to be a good thing. Oh, I'm sure having all that knowledge and experience has to be so helpful now if you're dealing with this with somebody within your family. I want to ask you to talk a little bit about dementia itself. When was it first identified? How many people in the United States? We'll get to the rest of the world after this. But it is a global podcast, so we do want to talk about that as well. How many people does it affect? And I know that there's some confusion about Alzheimer's and dementia. So if you could address that as well, please. Okay. Well, that was about five questions all in one. (laughs) So I will do what I can. Actually, the term dementia has been around for centuries. Demens. It was a Latin word. But the diagnosis of dementia was not started until about two centuries ago. But before that, and until just a mid-century, last century, it was called senile dementia. It was called hardening of the arteries. 
It was called mental illness. It was called all kinds of things, a cadre of things. So it really hasn't been until mid to late last century that people began to focus on the term dementia as a form of cognitive decline. So dementia itself is a cognitive impairment. Dementia is also a progressive disease with no cure. So let me explain a little bit about the difference in dementia and Alzheimer's. And this is a very important distinction because I'm going to make another point that relates back to that in just a moment. Dementia is the umbrella term for cognitive decline. Underneath that umbrella term falls about 200 different diagnoses that fall into and under that umbrella. Wow. Only one of which is Alzheimer's disease. It gets a lot of attention because at this point, the medical field is not as educated as they need to be about diagnostic criteria. Too often, they go ahead and just give the blanket term, this person has dementia, without taking the time to do further testing and understanding that there are all these different types of dementia. And it is important to make that distinction because the different types of dementia require different types of implementation of clinical caregiving. So it's frustrating for those of us in the field that this keeps happening, but it's also an opportunity for us to continue to educate physicians, especially on, don't just say they have dementia. Tell me, is it dementia of the Alzheimer's type? Is it dementia of Huntington's disease? Is it dementia with Parkinson's disease? Do you see what I'm saying? So that confusion should be ameliorated by understanding that if you use the term dementia, you're not actually hitting the nail on the head. It is actually just the umbrella term. Now, let me make this quick comparison to that. You know, cancer is the big C word, right? Underneath cancer, are like 450 to 500 different types of cancer. And within the subset of each type of cancer, there are many more subsets of that type of cancer. This is how I'd like for you to think about dementia. The brain is so blasted complex that we don't even know how we're going to go about working with this thing called dementia without taking the time to parse it out. That is very illuminating. It's certainly something that I never would have realized, the number of different types of dementia. And I definitely remember hardening of the arteries because back in the 60s and 70s, that's what they used to say about our grandparents, or at least my grandparents. So one in particular that I remember. So uh, that all sounds very familiar. The other part sounds very unfamiliar. If you could talk a little bit about in the United States, again, we'll get to the rest of the world, about how many people or what percentage of the population have dementia and are there certain demographics associated with that? Sure. In the United States, approximately 6.2 million people have the disease. Now, when we think about that number, let's remember that that's diagnostic. They're diagnosed with it. If you can imagine that a good portion of our population never gets the diagnosis, but they still have it, right? We just have to keep in mind that while that's a high number, that number is actually much higher. 
Also keep in mind that it is the third leading cause of death right now. The reason that's gotten so big, and I think this is an interesting point to make, is that prior to the last 20 years or so, when a person died, the doctors put that it was heart disease, lung problem, blah, 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 blah. But rarely did they state that dementia caused those problems. Mm. So you see, what we ended up with is a poor number to go by about how many people die of the disease. Doctors are getting better because, you know, as the brain begins to die, what happens is that cell death in the brain controls how we breathe, how we swallow, how we walk, how we eat, even how our body calibrates caloric intake. So when those things start happening, doctors are now beginning to realize that they're missing the boat if they just come up with one thing physiologically, not cognitive, as the cause of death. Dementia is usually considered to be an old person's disease. And in fact, it's not. That's the majority. I will say that. But people are diagnosed younger and younger with early onset dementia or early onset vascular. What that tells us is that the physicians are beginning to target these things better. It's always been there. That's another point that I'd like to make. You know, people have asked me, well, it seems like dementia is getting more and more and more all the time. Do you think it's the environment? Do you think, no, it's been there. It's been going on. We're just now doing a better job of targeting it. Now, as far as the breakdown from a demographic standpoint, women get it more than men. That is a reality. African-Americans get it more than Caucasians. And Hispanics next above the African American and Asian people and Caucasian people get it the least. But as with most things in our culture right now, the people getting most of the attention and the services are the white Caucasian people who seek out a doctor. African Americans don't have as much of an ability to do that. And of course, that's one of the things that my company is trying to rectify and make sure that there is even access across the board for those living with dementia and their families. Sure. And if you could talk a little bit about the rest of the world, PK, is the impact in the rest of the world and the way that dementia is presented and so forth and the demographics you alluded to, is it pretty similar or is it disparate depending based on the genetics you talked about and people's races and that sort of thing? I'll tell you what, I have been as shocked as anybody could possibly be at the fact that dementia is dementia is dementia. Mm. No matter where they are in the world, no matter what's going on, if a person is living with dementia, it looks the same, it acts the same, and it behaves the same. And I think 20 countries is a pretty good feel for what it's like for the rest of the world. The World Health Organization is saying that there's over 52 million people in the world with dementia. But now again, just like I mentioned in the United States, think of the countries that aren't even looking at access to diagnostics. It's a lot. The World Health Organization just in the last hmm, 15 years has begun to address the issue of dementia in a more targeted way, which I'm thrilled to see. In fact, I wrote a thing for the World Health Organization at the beginning of COVID on how they need to position the healthcare process as far as recommendations 
to those living with dementia during the pandemic. Excellent. I really hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you are, can you please do me a small favor? Let some of your family members, friends, or others in your network know about it and about healthcare on the horizon. If you happen to like this podcast, my interviewing approach, or perhaps even my voice, please consider checking out some of the many services my business provides. These include podcast hosting, creation and consulting, voiceovers, professional interviewing, production of audio or video promotional profiles to help you sell your business, promote your services, increase your customers, or raise funding, event hosting and meeting facilitation, and services to help you market to the large and growing seniors population. That's something I've actually written a book about. To learn more about all of this and my other podcast, Looking Forward, Opportunities for Job, Career, Business, and Investment Seekers, please visit www.jeff-ostroff.com. You can also email me at jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. As we look at what's happening right now, PK, and you're as good as anybody to answer this question, are there any recent or even brand new developments in the diagnosis or treatment of dementia, or I might even throw in prevention? So some of the recent breakthroughs have been in how we're mapping the brain and how that mapping is leading us to more genetic lookbacks at uh, how dementia begins and how we can begin to treat it. But in all my career, almost 40 years, there have been one gimmick, if you will, after another saying, oh, this is going to cure Alzheimer's disease. Oh, this is going to cure dementia. Oh, we've got the cure. Even from a biological standpoint, with the companies trying to come up with some of the medications to treat dementia, I can tell you that every time it gets down to the final analysis and it's not working. So you know what that says to me? That's back to my point I made earlier. It says to me that we are dealing with a brain that is so complex that coming up with a magic pill is not going to ever happen. I think what's going to happen is we're going to begin to learn how the brain breaks things down. And we're going to learn just as with cancer, there are different criteria for different interventions. We're going to find that the brain's so complex, it's going to be thousands and thousands of different interventions that are going to work best. Now, let me also say that when it comes to treatment, we have in the last 20, 25 years, begun to come up with some excellent treatment strategies. And those are nascent and they are continuing to grow. They are, but here's what I want everybody to understand. You're going to probably see a lot of things out there that this caregiving tool is going to make life easier for caregiving challenges. This caregiving tool. So you're going to hear a lot of that kind of stuff. I want you to vet, vet, vet those things. Look them up on the internet vet them, who they are, how long they've been doing this. And here's the big point, how much research have they conducted into the caregiving strategy? If they can't show you research about how their program works, I think you need to move on to the next one. At my company, we research every single solitary thing that we put out there. 
and we research it heavily. Everything we do is evidence-based at the highest standard. Everybody needs to be doing that because we don't want these poor families to have to deal with someone living with dementia and the day-to-day difficulty there is and get hornswoggled into doing a treatment that's probably not or may not work. Sure. Have we gotten any good information, any credible information on prevention? It's what your mother always told you as you were growing up. You got to eat right, got to exercise often, you need a high protein diet, you need to exercise your brain, you need to do things for other people. All of those skills over a lifetime will help prevent it. I do not want anyone listening to this podcast to think for a minute that doing all of those things are a cure. All those things do is possibly stave off the time that you will get the disease, live a little longer before it strikes, or it will help you process the disease progress better. So that's not the end all be all. But I have a feeling some of the research coming out of those things for, quote, normal people and as they progress through the aging process is stunning. It's stunning. Really well done. Wow. So there is some encouragement in terms of things we might try to, if not prevent it, maybe forestall it for a while. That's correct. And when you think about it, the brain is like any other muscle in your body. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. You have to do the wordles. You have to do the different things during the day that keeps your mind busy and active. You need to try new things. You need to make new friends. You need to volunteer. Socialization has been shown to be one of the biggest things that will keep a person active and more engaged. Even the studies that we have done on people who are living with dementia on a memory care unit. Our studies have shown that those who are socialized, like dancing with partners during the day or having a coffee chat or things like that, stave off cognitive decline better than those who like to just kind of sit in the corner and be left alone. So socialization is key. That's excellent. It sounds like, PK, that over the last 40 years that you've been involved with this, we're getting better at diagnosing dementia. When I first started, there weren't very many assessments for people to determine cognitive decline. And that's just the reality. Since then, there are some really good tests that have been normed and show good validity and reliability across cultures and over time. Now, these are clinical tools, though. These aren't things that you see sometimes on Facebook or even on TV that you can take a five-minute assessment to determine whether or not you have dementia. Well, that's hogwash. Well, I've done whole seminars on that. But I think the take-home message there is that if you go to a good gerontologist or geriatrician, rather than just, you know, a general practitioner you're going to find that they're going to do some pretty succinct assessments to determine what you have and how to treat it. That's excellent. I know that sometimes people who are going to go into independent living, continuing care communities, or possibly assisted living, they're entering into a care community, they're given some kind of a test. What do you think about those tests? If they're going into memory care, 
some of those tests are pretty good and they're done by an RN or and the social worker. And the attending physician that's on site usually reviews them before making a diagnosis. But if they're going into memory care, they have to have had a good diagnosis from a physician, hopefully a gerontologist, before they even enter the building. What happens is when they're there, they're going to want to keep a baseline to watch how the cognition is going because that tells them if meds management needs to be made, that tells them what types of things they need to do to help engage the person. So those are the kinds of assessments that you're going to see there. And we call those functional assessments. Okay, thanks for expanding on that. From your vantage point, and you've got a global perspective, you're operating in, what, 20 countries uh, around the world? Yeah. What do you see in the future in terms of what potential progress we might make in either learning better how to prevent it, you've talked a little bit about that, how to diagnose it, or probably most importantly, how to treat it. Here in the United States, And in many other developed countries, we've got aging populations. And so the sooner the better, right? What do you see that might be hopeful in this regard, PK? Actually, I couldn't be more excited about the future for people living with cognitive decline. I think we are on the precipice of some pretty amazing things happening. Again, I don't think that we're going to get that magic pill anytime real soon. But I think that forces are gathering. We're getting Congress more aware of, we have several organizations that are heavily involved in legislation. Now, the reason I mentioned legislation is because so much of the services that we can get to the underserved are going to have to be legislated and programs are going to have to be more established for them. But here's the best part, I think, of living with dementia. Prior to just recently, I believe in the next 20 to 30 years, a person living with dementia is not going to be segregated from our society. I think we are learning how to be more inclusive with them. Companies like ours and many other companies like ours are trying to include those people in everything we do. We're starting to learn how families can get more comfortable being out in the public and doing things with them because we have a more understanding culture. I am so excited to watch that happen. I turn 70 next year, and I hope I live long enough to see those things happen. And I'm starting to feel it happen a little bit now. But right now, we are living in a time where we hide people living with dementia. We don't go out with them. We don't have programs for them in our churches and our education processes. We just haven't done a very good job. But again, we have come worlds in my last 40 years, and it's gotten so much better. And I think that's what's going to happen in the next 40 years. That's encouraging. If I could draw from what you said, tell me if I've got this right. You don't necessarily see a lot that we're going to be able to do that's new about preventing it. There's a lot of information out there about things that you can do to prevent it or at least stave it off. We're getting better, and you see that perhaps continuing in diagnosing it, and you're not seeing any magic pills or drugs coming out that are going to reduce the chances that somebody gets it or even cure somebody who has it, where you're seeing the greatest opportunity is going to be when people get dementia, their lives are going to be richer than they might be right now. Is that kind of what you're saying? 
Yes. And the preventative measures will be again sooner with people. We're not going to just give up when we get the diagnosis. We're going to get busy. And I also think that we're going to get more doctors who are more encouraging to family members. It's not the death knell. There are a lot of great things that a person can do that's living with dementia that heretofore has not been highlighted. So I think that's going to continue to grow and meld into our, the fabric of our society. The way that I like to look at it is for those of you listeners who have been around the education system very long, you know that kids back in the 60s and early 70s and 50s that had what we now call learning disabilities were pretty much washed out of the system. School didn't apply to them. They were called stupid and dumb. They were uh, put out in the hallways. And it's been just in the 80s and 90s that we began to look at IEPs, educational programs specific to the kid. We came up with a way to provide a free and public education to every child. That's what I see happening with dementia. Dementia before were the people that you didn't take in public, that you covered up for, that church was now off the table, going out to dinner was now off the table. But now we're seeing the light and we're realizing that just like kids with learning disabilities, these people have cognitive issues that we learn to work around. It's very positive, very encouraging. PK, this has been great. Really appreciate your sharing your expertise with us. You've certainly had a lot of experience in dealing with this and you've seen the progress and you're speaking about some good things that lie ahead in dealing with dementia. Would love for you to share with our audience a little bit more about Second Wind Dreams and how our listeners can benefit from what you do, how they might help you out, and anything else that you'd want to share with them about your activities, your program. Sure. I founded Second Wind Dreams in 97 with a purpose of making dreams come true for people living in long-term care. Now we make dreams come true for elders along the long-term care continuum, hospice, home health, assisted living, all the cadre. And we make dreams come true that from the simple to the sublime, going up in a hot air balloon and riding the roller coasters (laughs) and going to visit the graveside of a loved one things for them that you and I can do today, they can't do. So we make that happen. Now, the reason I founded it was because I felt like people living in long-term care are hidden and forgotten. And I felt like we as a society were doing a very poor job of remembering that these are the people that built our roads and our schools and are responsible for where we are today. And that's abysmal. That says a lot about our culture, the lack of maturity we have as a culture. So I think it's changing. I created the Virtual Dementia Tour as part of my doctoral dissertation. The VDT is worldwide. It's been experienced by approximately 4 million people. It's evidence-based. And what we do is we simulate what it might be like to have dementia with the purpose of hoping that when you come out of the VDT and you see what it was like for a person with dementia, we can change how we care for them to better speak to their needs. The virtual dementia tour, I donated it to Second Wind Dreams to help make more dreams come true. And of course, the pandemic has hit us pretty hard because our services of dreams and the virtual dementia tour have to be in person on site. And, you know, that's just been horrible. 
But we have been fortunate enough to get uh, the PPP loans from the government, and they've now been forgiven. So we didn't lay anybody off. We had some staff changes, but that was for other reasons. And coming out of this, okay, what you can do to help us is go to our website, secondwind.org, look at the donate button, pop a donation in there for us for the talk today. And also, if you could, there are dreams that are actually online that you can make come true with a donation. Find a dream that looks fun to you and send us 10 bucks over the internet. That would be great. And lastly, we have a whole section of our website donated to you, the family caregivers who are living this day to day. So please visit that part of our website. We have free services there and we'd love to have you involved. Sounds wonderful. I love the idea of the dreams. I love the idea of the hot air balloons. (laughs) I think that's great. And I'm sure there are many other great things that you didn't have time to cite that you're doing with these people to help them live their dreams. PK, this has been wonderful. Thank you again for being on Looking Forward Healthcare on the Horizon and keep up the great work, please. Thank you. The pleasure's mine. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Healthcare on the Horizon. I hope you've enjoyed it and will benefit from it. And if you did like it, Please share this episode with anyone you know who you think might also find it of value. And if you have any comments or questions about Healthcare on the Horizon or any suggestions for future topics or guest experts, you can reach me at the website www.jeff-ostroff.com or through my email address jeff at jeff-ostroff.com. Thanks.